0: As the choir is coming down, if you'll find your Bible and open it up or turn it on, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 today, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, as we begin a new series that we're entitling Simply Faith. Uh, You ever been in a situation where it felt like somebody was just kind of looking down their nose at you? You ever been in that situation before? I uh, I remember one time my wife and I were going out for an anniversary dinner, so we were trying to go to a really nice restaurant. Nice restaurant for us is something like Cheloso, you know. I mean, uh, but we were going to a real nice restaurant that night, and the waiter came up and he was going through the menu, and he was like, "Well, our our, our cattle has all been raised beneath the mountains of Japan, and our our potatoes were organically grown in the soils of the Napa." And I remember as he was kind of going through all this stuff, I was thinking to myself, I just want a potato from Idaho. And, you know, a steak that comes from West Texas or something like that. But ironically, one of the places where arrogance is most often seen is in faith. And it's ironic because at the heart of faith is humility. Like Paul wrote... In Galatians chapter 6, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So imagine the irony that Jesus must have felt. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Hebrews says he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's nature, the one from whom all things come, the sustainer of all things. (laughs) He is the king of kings. And yet the religious leaders of the day, the very people that were supposed to be leading folks to God, looked down on Jesus. In their eyes, he was... A poor boy, born in a stable, raised in the dusty agrarian community known as Nazareth, home of the Nazareth Fighting Farmers football team, you know. Jesus was just a small-town farm boy who grew up in a carpenter's shop. In the minds of the priest, Jesus was not good enough. Well, in Luke chapter 18... And beginning in verse 9, Jesus tells this parable. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Now right here, many of us kind of bounce off the parable. We say to ourselves, okay this is who this parable's for, this isn't for me, so I can just start planning lunch and kind of check out today because I I don't struggle in this way. But I want to push you today to look inside and discover that often well-meaning Christians fall into the trap of arrogant, prideful Christianity. And so we see Three characteristics of arrogant Christianity here in the passage in verse 9. Number one, it's overly confident. It believes that it has it all figured out. And so it becomes overly confident. And the world would be a better place if everyone would just be like me. You ever begin falling into that trap of thinking? Arrogant Christianity is self-righteous. Rather than looking to a Savior, it looks to our own selves. Look at what I do. Look at how good I am. I'm better than these people. And so rather than bringing glory to God, it seeks to bring glory to the self. Arrogant Christianity is snobby. It looks down upon others. It sees them as inferior. And so Jesus tells this parable... To help us, to help me, to help you avoid the trap of prideful Christianity. So it begins. Two men went up to the temple to pray one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. So we have two men here, and the first one was a Pharisee. Now he had to be greatly admired by the people. The Pharisees knew the Bible like no one else. They studied the scriptures all the time. And this Pharisee, he attended temple, he attended synagogue. Every Saturday he was there. He gave money generously to the temple. He was spiritually disciplined. He was, in the minds of many of the people, the hero of the story. And then the other character is the tax collector. The tax collector was despised by everyone, somewhat the Tony Soprano of his day. He was a man who had sold out to the Roman Empire, this evil empire that had invaded their territory, and now he was filling their coffers, and the tax collector would extort money from everyone. The tax collectors were bullies, and they got rich off of other people's pain. And so, no doubt about it, when Jesus begins this parable, the Pharisee is the more godly of the two. But then look at verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector i fast twice a week and i give a tenth of all that i get now notice all the good things that this Pharisee did and all these things are good he he went to temple he was there it was a priority for him even the week after Easter he was at temple He showed up. Even when it was cold outside, he was there. It was priority for him to be at worship. He prayed. He prayed in a way that others could even hear him pray. One of the most awkward moments for any life group teacher is that moment in class whenever they ask, is anyone wanting to lead our prayer today? And then there's this little quiet hush that goes over the class because, like, no one wants to pray out loud. But this guy, he was willing to pray where, where people could hear him. He, he avoided sinful behavior. He didn't steal. He wasn't a gambler. He didn't go to Rated-R movies unless they were about the crucifixion of Jesus then. He, he, he listened to preaching on his morning commute every, every day when he would go to work. He would listen to preaching. Uh, it says here that he he fasted twice a week. ultimately, they were only required to fast really really at the day of atonement. He fasted twice a week. He gave a tenth. the word tithe means a tenth, and for centuries, godly people have been giving a tenth of what God blesses us with back to God, and he gave a tithe on everything he was. He was meticulous about his tithes. If he grew ten carrots in the garden, he gave a carrot back to God. He tithed. The Pharisee did all the right things. He said all the right things, but his heart was in all the wrong places. I want to implore you to pay attention And to be careful. Now, one thing that I make a practice of is I do not criticize other churches. I'm not one of these guys that posts things on my Facebook page about this preacher or that preacher and that kind of thing. That's not my style. And I don't plan for it ever be my style. But you need to be careful. Because there are many expressions of Christianity That do good things, often say the right things, but they lack the heart of Christ. Be careful. Just because it has a Christian label does not mean that it's going to lead you to God. And so you need to have some godly discernment about you as you genuinely follow the Lord. And so let me talk about some of the different expressions that often lead people in the wrong direction. One is snobby Christianity. It's this idea that God loves us or maybe God loves me, but God doesn't love you. Jesus died for me, but not for you. We're better than everyone else. And I bet you, could, I bet you wish you could be like us. And it kind of creates this snobby, arrogant mentality about Christianity. Be careful with that. Or angry Christianity. Preacher uh, was preaching one day and preachers often will have notes that kind of help guide the preacher to stay on on point. And so in his notes, he he had a a note there that said, this is a weak point. Make sure you yell a lot. (laughs) But you've probably experienced that before. Christianity that always wears a scowl. It was kind of real popular about 50, 60 years ago. The preacher pictures would always look like this. You know, and it was kind of an angry expression. Yell, yell a lot about life. And often the goal of angry Christianity is conformity. I've got to beat you into submission. You have to conform. And frequently it It stumbles into legalism and begins teaching people this idea that God will love you if you do this. And we need to be mindful that God loves us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And His love for us is an expression of grace through His Son, who did for us something that we could never earn upon our own. Be careful with angry Christianity or fathead Christianity. Fathead Christianity thinks that Christianity is about what I know. I've read all these books, and I know all these things, and I can debate the nuances of theology, and so therefore I have arrived. Or there's truthless Christianity. Truthless Christianity doesn't stand for anything. Now remember, there's a tension that takes place within Christian thought between holiness and and love. And what I've discovered over the years is that most people are wired one way or the other naturally. Some of you are, it's very easy for you to view God in black and white terms. Thus saith the Lord, the purity of God, the transcendence of God, the holiness of God. And for others, it's very easy for you to view God through that love lens. And you think of God as Father, and it's very, you're, you're a very merciful person. And those those natural poles, are, I think, are, are, are to be in the church. People are kind of naturally wired by God that way, but remember that both holiness and love work together. You see, the holiness of God leads us to understand that we need His grace, that without His grace and love, we could never experience forgiveness because I fall short of the standard of holiness. So holiness stands in tension with love. Holiness drives me over here to the love of God, and then when I experience the love and grace of God through salvation in Christ, it also drives me back towards the holiness of God. Because God doesn't save me just to stay the same. God saves me so that I can be sanctified and that my life begins to change so that I reflect the holiness of God in my life. So the holiness and grace of God, they they work together. They they may find themselves seemingly in tension at times, but in reality, they work together. And so be careful not to go so far over here on the love and grace of God that you forget about the fact that there are some things that are right and there are some things that are wrong. Truthless Christianity is not genuine Christianity. Also, there's cultural Christianity cultural Christianity. You see this a lot in the South. Uh, It's just who we are, you know. I was born Christian. My grandpa was a deacon, and I grew up in church, and that's just who I am, you know. And so you're at church, and God and country, but you may not really have a relationship with Christ, but you still kind of have that idea. That's just who we are. Then there's Church Inc., Church Incorporated. Now, don't hear me wrongly. I, I'm not opposed to large churches. There are a lot of large churches out there that are doing great ministry. And there's nothing wrong with a church having a nice building. We're still planning on remodeling this room that you're in, and it's not going to be free. Uh, you, know, there, it's, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a nice building and uh, uh, trying to have an attractive place to worship. But you've got to be really careful that the goal of church does not become building a business. The goal of church is making disciples. And then there's the health and wealth gospel. Now, this is particularly distasteful because it feeds on greed and it stalks the poor and it stalks the ill, promising that there will be healing and money if you just have enough faith. Be careful. Have some discernment and understand that not everything out there that has the Christian label is going to lead you to God. But also realize that distortions of God are nothing new. People have always done this. People have always distorted God in such a way that uh, they try to draw people away and it will look good, but it will ultimately lead you away from God rather than to Him. And so Jesus continues in the parable in verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance and he would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now notice here, he stood at a distance. His goal was not to be seen and heard. He was humble he came before God with his head down and he had done some wrong things but we find this tax collector beating his breast and coming before God saying God have mercy on me have mercy on me he was repenting of his sin repentance and faith always go together by the way He was turning from his sin. Now, what does it mean to repent? Imagine if you would, that you're on a road trip, and you're driving with the family to the Grand Canyon. And so you get out your phone, and you punch in directions, and uh, so Siri is going to guide you on your road trip. But along the way, you make a wrong turn. And Siri starts telling you about it. In two miles, turn around. And you start yelling at Siri, calling her bad names, (laughs) telling Siri that she just needs to be quiet, that she doesn't know anything, and that you've got it all figured out, and you just keep driving, right? (laughs) Never happened in here before, right? (laughs) Finally, as you're driving, you see a sign. Welcome to Arkansas. (laughs) And you realize, maybe I went the wrong way. And so you turn things around. Repentance is a change of mind that leads you to God. That leads you to a change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. You turn around. Rather than pursuing pride and selfishness, rather than living life as if you are God, you turn to God, and it is in God's power and strength that you experience a change of heart that leads to a change of behavior. And so these two men came to temple that day. And I, in my own imagination, can envision at the end of the service, the preacher asked everyone to bow their heads. And the band came forward and they played a song. And everybody sang with the band. Then they took an offering. They had prayer. and went out into the foyer, saw their friends, and they went home. Went on about life. Jesus concludes the parable this way. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. That word justified means not guilty or righteous. The other man in his pride thought he was righteous. The tax collector in his humility repented of sin, bowed before God, and he was the one that experienced being justified. And then Jesus says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The tax collector went home forgiven. The Pharisee went home trapped in his arrogance. Bound by his sin. Whenever we stand before Jesus, it's the humble who will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. In the kingdom of God, as we envision the privilege of being there when people come alive in Christ, when we envision being a part of God, shining light into darkness, when we envision ourselves being a part of a church that truly reaches out and demonstrates the heart of Christ to the community around us, and to the world that seems so far beyond us. It is the humble that God will use to do great things. And the prideful will be humble. And my prayer for us today as a church. Is that we will be real. That we will be authentic. That we will, through the Holy Spirit's power. Represent Christ to the world around us. Sometimes people ask me, Lash, what is your vision for this church? And in ministry, there's a lot of dialogue that goes on about how pastors need to be vision casters and this is all that we need to talk about and all these different things. And over the years, I've come to one simple vision. I want us to be a church. I want us to be a church. A place where God is exalted. A place where people minister to one another, a place where the gospel is being shared to the community and the world around us, a place where individuals are being challenged to grow, to be like Christ and to be disciples of Christ, a place where we gather every single chance we get to sing praises to God, and whenever we gather, we don't just talk about someone's ideas or talk about the political topic of the day, but we open the Word of God and we look at it and we let it challenge us and change us and and and, and we have a fellowship and a, a a true community where we are not just gathering in a room together for an hour on sunday but we're living life with each other and we're there for each other when people hurt we walk alongside them whenever they grieve we give them uh comfort and care When people welcome new children into this world, or whenever people begin a new family and get married, we celebrate with them, and whenever people cry, we cry with them. Why? Because we're a church. Whenever we see people come alive in Christ, we rejoice. we go cross-cultural, because that's what Christ called us to do. And whenever we hear stories about what happened a few weeks ago, whenever our Vietnamese ministry and our, our Spanish ministry went together to have a camp out together, and while they were there, this young Vietnamese boy that had come to the United States to study uh, to study and, and to go to school came to a point of knowing Christ and wanting to be baptized. And so Dan Ha, our church planner at Hope Community Church, took him out into frigid Lake our Lake Texoma, and he was baptized to the glory of God. And when a church hears stories about that, you know what it should do within us? Make us rejoice. Because, my friends, this is church. When the hailstones began to fall this week, how many of you flashed back to a couple years ago? When the softballs were falling. That was a tough time for church. But you know one thing I saw during that time? I saw the church being the church. People coming together to help others board up their windows. And help others have places to stay. And making sure that people were fed. And making sure that people were connected to proper contractors. That's the church being the church. Caring about one another. Living life as we share the gospel and advance Christ's kingdom. It is so easy To fall into the traps. And truthfully, there are times when almost all of us do. There are times when almost all of us fall into the traps of arrogant Christianity. This is one of those things, you don't just preach one message and you're done. This is one of these things, you have to do a constant heart check there. But let's remember, we are who we are because of the grace of God. And we find our our identity and our justification in Him. And what Christ called you and me to do is to believe. To repent of our arrogance and our pride, which leads us to sin. To place our faith in Him as Lord and Savior. And to follow Him with the totality of our lives. And so if you've never experienced the grace of God in your life, I invite you to do that today. I invite you to make today your day of belief. And I challenge our church to be a church, to be the body of Christ, and to reflect Him in such a way that others are drawn to the cross rather than pushed away. Would you be so kind as to bow your heads, please, as we come to a time of commitment the band's going to come and lead us in singing. And if there's anything that I may pray with you about, help you with, I'll be here at the front. It's always my joy to be a pastor to you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, for this congregation of believers that gathers here on Sunday. Lord, I pray that we will not be a critical people. May we not be angry people that look down upon the world around us. May we not see church as a stained glass monastery where we retreat into our holy huddles just to take care of ourselves. But may we be mindful that you have called us to take the light into the darkness to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And I thank You that here within these walls are some of the most godly, genuine people that I have ever met in my life. And I thank You for the impact that they have upon my life. And I thank You for a church where I can bring my four small children and I can know that there will be Sunday school teachers and life groups, teachers and deacons and people in this church that will lead them to your heart. And I pray that you might capture all of our hearts to be like Christ. Forgive us, Lord, for those times where We fall into the traps of the Pharisees. And we find our righteousness in ourselves. Thank you, God, for your grace. May we trust in you and obey you in every area of our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. Amen.